So earlier this summer, I embarked on a new journey. I decided that I was going to run, uh, prepare to run a long race. And so uh, I began to research what's the best way to train for this kind of distance that I'm going to run, which plan's going to be the best plan for me. And I did a bunch of research, talked to a bunch of people, began to try to figure out how do I prepare for this long distance race. And one of the things that, that as I prepared and got ready, um, the, the, and the first day I picked my race that I was going to do and then I backed out the number of weeks I needed to train in order to be ready for that race. And so I got to this first day that I was supposed to start my first training run. Super excited, right? For me, incredibly excited. Some of you are going, that would never be an exciting day for me, ever. But for me, it was an exciting day. First run. Out of the gate, first day, you take off, you run. It's awesome. I mean, you're just like on cloud nine, like this is great, we're, we're getting ready to go. Those first few days you run and you start realizing that you've got muscles in places you don't know you've got muscles because they hurt. And then you click along and there's excitement for a while those first few weeks, those first about four weeks are really encouraging and you just kind of click into a rhythm a little bit and it's awesome. About week six, you start experiencing some of the symptoms of running long term that you didn't know were possible. Like if you looked at my toes right now, about half of them are all black. It's just the nature of it. There are all kinds of other things that I won't tell you about that come with running long distances. And you start wondering, now why did I decide I want to do this? What's the purpose of this? What's really, what am I really going to accomplish? Is it worth all the things that it costs? And here's the reality for, the, for us as we as a church have been talking about what's, what are our individual next steps of moving towards the Lord? What are our next steps as the church of moving toward the Lord? Here's what happens. Making the decision and writing down a next step is actually the easiest part of the entire process. Leaning into and living out that next step becomes really difficult. Because somewhere down the road, we start seeing ramifications of that decision that we go, I didn't really think about that one. Do I want to endure that? Do I want to really continue in this decision and keep going? And we start recognizing that the, the next steps, the decisions to follow Christ, they have ramifications we weren't quite prepared for. And we start running into questions of whether or not we should keep going. Because it becomes costlier than we thought. So this morning we want to look at the life of Moses. And if you've got your words, we're going to Hebrews chapter 11. And look at what happened and how he was able to endure and persevere in the decisions and following Christ over the long haul and not the short term. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 23 when you get there. But just a little bit of background here. Hebrews chapter 11 is frequently called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Starts, states over and over again, by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. Over and over, it talks about all the different things people did by faith. And this story, where the section we're going to look at, 20, verses 23 through 27, it talks specifically about Moses. And so if you don't remember Moses' story, uh, we're going to recap it here quickly if you've never heard it. Moses, uh, this, his story is in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And he was born to an Israelite family at the time when the Israelites were slaves of the Egyptians. And the Pharaoh, the king of, of Egypt at that time, said that every male born to an Israelite was to be thrown into the Nile River and killed. 
And so Moses' parents, um, he's born, and Moses' parents decide they're going to hide Moses. They hide him. Eventually, they put him in a basket next to the river, as a, right among the reeds in the river. And Pharaoh's daughter and her attendants come down to the river to bathe, and they find the baby. They actually have Moses' real mom raise him for a short period of time, and then he goes to live with Pharaoh's daughter and is raised in that royal family. So here you have an Israelite, one of the slaves, who's being raised by the royal family of Egypt. And as he grows, he has this wrestling point of who am I? Am I part of the, Pharaoh, the Egyptian royalty or am I part of the Israelite slave people? And he has this encounter with an Egyptian soldier who's harassing an Israelite slave. And so he kills the Egyptian soldier thinking that he would earn the favor of the Israelites only to find out that his story gets out and Pharaoh tries to kill him. And so Moses runs off to a new place. Doesn't it sound like a TV drama series? He runs off to a new place, starts a new life, and then God shows up in a burning bush and says, hey, I want you to go back to Pharaoh, and I want you to be the one that leads my people out of Egypt. And Moses wrestles with God, like, no, don't use me, I'm not quite the right guy. Remember, you're wanting me to speak to Pharaoh, but I can't speak very well. Send somebody who speaks better. And it's this wrestling back and forth, and eventually Moses goes he talks to Pharaoh. There's the ten plagues in Egypt. God uses those plagues to allow the Israelite people to leave Egypt. Egypt, I mean, the Israelites leave Egypt. They flee to the Red Sea, and then the Egyptian army follows them, and God does a miracle and parts the Red Sea. The Israelites go through, and from that point on, you've got um, the Egyptians that try to follow them, and then they get washed out in the Red Sea, and then Moses leads the, Egypt, leads the Israelite people in the wilderness for the rest of his life. He never gets to see the promised land, but he's in charge of them in the wilderness and setting up God's standard for them. So you've got this guy who's, who, who has now lived this leadership-type life, and I want us to see in verses 23 through 27 of Hebrews 11 what it says about Moses looking back at him. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. Like, this is an incredible picture. Wouldn't any of us love to see, like, people talk about us at some point years and generations after we had passed away? Like, that guy just followed the Lord and saw that following the Lord was greater than anything else the world could offer. That'd be a cool legacy. But what we want to see, I want us to go back a little bit and think of, and look at Moses' life before this point. He wasn't always with this kind of faith. He was tested. And so if you go back to Exodus um, chapter 3 when the Lord was calling Moses out, at that point when Moses pushed back on the Lord, eventually Moses decided, okay, fine, I'll go to Pharaoh. I mean, it's this big monumental decision. I'm going to go. 
Right? Don't you and I do that with the Lord whenever we feel like he's calling us out to something? Let me wrestle with him for a while rather than just saying yes. You ever had that moment where you feel like the Lord's leading you to something, whether it's to move or to take a different job or to do something different with your family or whatever the case may be, you feel like he's calling you out and you've got all the reasons why that's not a good idea. And then over time, eventually, through that wrestling, you get to a place where you go, okay, Lord, let's go. For me, that's kind of like preparing to run for the first time. Like, okay, the decision's made. We're going to move this way, and there's a little bit of excitement behind it. I don't know what it's really going to hold, but we're going to go this direction. So when you start moving that direction, you, you, you take all the steps that you need to to make that happen, and as you're headed that way, you come in, you come in contact with kind of the first little piece of that new decision, and you have to wrestle with it. So here's what happened with Moses. Moses decided he would listen, so he goes to Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh that um, God wants you to let his people go, and Pharaoh says no. I mean, Moses is like, wait, I've just done what the Lord told me to do. And Pharaoh says no. And then it gets worse for Moses. From that point, Pharaoh's upset that Moses even asked him. And so Pharaoh tells his Uh, Egyptian leadership, he says, hey, go double the workload on the Israelites so that they understand I'm in control and not this guy. So then the Israelite leadership is furious. They come back to Moses and they wear him out. They can say it better than I can. Exodus 5 verse 21, look what they tell Moses. May the Lord take note of you and judge they said to them, talking about Moses and Aaron, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hands to kill us. See what just happened? Moses came back to Egypt going, okay, the Lord's going to use me to bring all his people out. And all of a sudden, God's own people are saying, you're not here to save us. You've just put the sword in the hand of the Egyptians to kill us. Feels a little backward, doesn't it? And look at what Moses says in verse 22. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's caused trouble for this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. Did you catch what Moses just did? He's like, wait, you sent me to these people. You told me to come rescue them and that you were going to allow them to go. Why did you even send me if this is the result? You ever find that in your decisions to follow the Lord that the circumstances don't turn out the way you thought they were going to? When God says, I want you to follow me and you wrestle through the decision and you follow him and the very first thing you run into is something incredibly difficult and you go, I don't understand that. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you're going to work that out. But right now, in this moment, I don't understand what you're doing. And I don't even know if I should have gone this way. Because see, here's what we tend to do. We tend to focus on the circumstances around us to dictate whether or not we've been obedient to listening to the Lord. Here's what happens. We feel like the Lord's called us to move. We move. We take the new job. Then our kids struggle. The job's not quite what we thought it was going to be. 
Everything becomes chaotic and we go, well then I must have missed what God called me to because there's no way God would have called me to this. Instead of going, actually sometimes the Lord calls us out for very intentional purposes and reasons. And it's in that difficulty that the Lord wants to show us who he really is. So for some of us here today, you're at a place where you feel like the Lord's called you to something, you've stepped out into it, and right now you're questioning whether that was the right decision. As we walk through the rest of this passage, I want you to see how the Lord works and what he's doing and how he is worthy to be trusted regardless of what the circumstances look like. Because here's the reality for Moses. Here's the, here's the crazy part of what happened to Moses. Moses just is upset and is like, you haven't rescued your people at all. But if Moses had listened to what God told him, he would have known this was the plan for all along. Because if you go back to Exodus 3, where God is talking to Moses, you know what God tells Moses? He tells Moses exactly what's going to happen. He's like, hey Moses, here's what, here's what, here's what the plan is. You're going to go talk to Pharaoh. He's not going to let them go. In fact, it's going to take my hand pushing him and forcing him to let them go. So just know that on the front end that it's going to be more difficult because I'm going to have to push his hand so that I get the glory and everybody in Egypt knows that I'm the God of all creation. And what does Moses do right here? He gets upset that God did exactly what he told him he was going to do. Isn't that what we do? God tells us exactly what's going to happen and we go, what are you doing? He's like, I told you in advance. This is how it's going to work. Because here's what we do. We see that suffering. We see that pain. We see that difficulty. And we go, what in the world is God doing? But look at what Moses said in Hebrews 11. Or what, what it says about him. Verse 24, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. See, what he ultimately came back to was, hey, suffering for the name of the Lord is better than anything that this world could offer. So if I have to suffer to pursue him, that's better than pursuing what the world had to offer. Because see, he was in a unique position. He could have followed the, the most important king most likely in all the world at that moment. He could have had everything under that banner. And instead, that king could not provide anything of value as opposed to the king of all creation. And he said, I'd rather suffer for him than have everything he has. And that took a long time to develop to that place where he recognized that. He didn't recognize that in Exodus 5. And you and I don't tend to recognize that very often. We just see that we've trusted the Lord and all of a sudden things are in chaos and so we begin to push back on what the Lord's called us to rather than enduring and persevering in the midst of it. See verse 26, For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Why in the world... Why in the world would Moses endure that kind of suffering? Say, I'd rather have reproach for Christ than everything Egypt has to offer. It was because he looked forward to the reward that was to come. 
And he said, that's more important than anything else here. For you and me, when we get locked into the immediacy of our circumstances, we miss the reward of what's to come. When we get that phone call that says, hey, yeah, what you're dealing with is something serious. We got a major medical issue here. Or when you get, when you get that, make that decision to make that move, or even when you're wrestling in your sin and you go, you know what? What I am fearful of is the consequences of letting that out and letting someone know, but I need to confess that to someone else, but I am fearful of how that will play out. What happens when we look ahead to the reward rather than looking to the immediacy of the circumstances? Because when we look to the immediacy of the circumstances, you know where we end up? Look at verse 27. I want to bring something out again. In verse 27, it says, By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. See, this is the second time fear has come up in this passage. In verse 23, his, his parents were not afraid of the king's edict. It says, his parents, Because they saw the child was beautiful, they didn't fear the king's edict. I'm not sure what would have happened if they hadn't thought he was beautiful. But every parent thinks their child's beautiful, so that's, that's how that works. But they didn't fear the king's edict. They did not have fear in that moment when they should have. This is a guy that holds their very life in his hands. They didn't fear him. And then in verse 27, when Moses was not afraid of the king's anger, he should have been. Because that king could crush him in a heartbeat. Why did neither of them have fear? Look at the end of 27. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. Moses said, I'm trusting the king that's over everything, not the king that's only over a lot of wealth and over this land. He has nothing compared to my king. And so I will lock my gaze, I will fix my eyes on him and him alone because this guy's got nothing on my king. And no matter what may come, I will follow him. See, what happens is fear begins to trickle in when we make our next steps. Right? As all of us have made next steps and said, we're taking this next step toward the Lord. If you, whatever your decision has been, if it's been to... Um, change the way that you give to the Lord and your financial resources and you start to give over a period of time and all of a sudden your finances go the wrong direction and you go, God, I didn't bank on this. I banked on you doubling my bank account so that I could do this. Fear begins to settle in. Or when you get to the point where you're going, I'm convicted of my sin and I need to confess that to someone else. But, but you go, but what are they going to say? What are they going to do? Are they going to love me? Are they going to care for me? Are they gonna, what are they going to do with my brokenness? Fear settles in rather than trusting the Lord. And Moses overcame that fear by focusing on the one who was invisible. Right? It was as if he walked with the one who was invisible and he knew him. That changes everything. Because see, we all have different builds and different ways that we look at circumstances. So if you've, I don't know if you've ever done this personality test, we're going to do a personality test in here, and you're going to know your personality type in the next two minutes. It's easy. 
You ever heard of the lion, otter, beaver, retriever? There's a scenario I can give you, and you'll know immediately which one you are. Okay, if the building were on fire, the lion's the one who said, everybody follow me, let's get out of here, I'm leading us out. That's the lion. If you're the one that takes charge and leads them out, that's you. The beaver's the one going, I wonder what caused it. It may have been over here. That's a little bit weak. That wouldn't have burned if they had done this. And they're look, you're looking all over the place, analyzing what happened, and someone has to drag the beaver out because the beaver forgets that he's got to get out of the burning building because he's trying to figure out what happened. The retriever's the one going, do we have everybody? Is everybody with us? Is anybody missing? Who is? Where is everybody? Do we have you, all of you? They're concerned with having everybody together, taking care of everybody. And the otter's the one roasting marshmallows on the flames. So... So everybody needs to have an otter friend. It's just fun that way. You all know who your, what your spouses are. You're elbowing each other going, I know what you are. Look, I'm a beaver through and through. I get made fun of because I'm a beaver, but I want to analyze everything. So when I look at life, all I want to do is put the puzzle pieces together and make sure they all fit correctly and fit right. So when the puzzle pieces don't fit, fear begins to creep up in my life because I go, I want to make sense of what I'm looking at because I'm wired to make sense of all of it. And yet what I have to learn how to do and what the Lord is showing me over and over again is don't let fear drive the train because you don't put the pieces together. Trust me because I built the whole puzzle. And I hold all of it together. And if you'll look to me instead of looking to what you can piece together, you'll find a greater joy and an ability to persevere in whatever lies ahead better than anything else you could ever see. See, it reminds me of those verses in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you'll see in these verses in Hebrews and those verses in James, There is a connected tie between suffering, faith, and perseverance. Those three are linked together frequently. We endure the suffering and the pain and the hardship, even when we don't understand what God's doing, because it develops our faith. And as our faith develops, we begin to persevere and we begin to trust more and more. See, for me, as I run, There are days that I start to run and I get about two miles in and I go, my body does not feel like running today. And I could stop right there. But most of the time by about mile five, my body's kicked into gear and I'm like, let's go. I've been able to push through what's in that moment. And what I felt was not reflective of what was reality. And as believers in Christ, frequently what we feel is not what is reality. And so we have to trust the Lord to move us towards what's right and true and good, not what we feel. So that we can develop perseverance. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the guy 20 years from now who had made a lot of commitments to the Lord, but let all of them go by the wayside in a very short amount of time. Yeah, Lord, I'm going to do this for you. That's, that's great. I'm going to be a great cheerleader. I'm going to do all these things. And then 20 years from now, people are going, did you really do anything? 
You committed to a lot, but I didn't see your life change. Wouldn't it be amazing if a year from now, after all these next steps that we've all put down on paper, we've all sought the Lord, a year from now we gather back together and we're able to go, this is what the Lord did in my life. I didn't expect those circumstances, but I trusted the Lord and look what he did. And we're just able to share stories of how the Lord has worked in all of our lives to develop the endurance and perseverance that allow us to look toward him. And we can encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching of Christ's return. That'd be powerful, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a church that says, oh yeah, we want to do big things and then we don't do much. I'll be a church of people who say, we're going to trust the Lord with what we can't see because we know he can. And then we're going to become a church that steps out in faith so that we might become a ready bride for the return of Christ. And then we just persevere through whatever may come because we're looking to him, not to what we see. Moses didn't do that perfectly. He didn't get to this place in Hebrews 11 overnight. He had to trust the Lord to grow him where he was. And if you read his story in Exodus, I get, I'm so encouraged by his story if you read the whole thing in Exodus because he makes some dumb decisions sometimes. That makes me feel better because I make dumb decisions sometimes. And learning how to trust the Lord all the way through. He didn't get it perfect. None of us are going to get it perfect. See, the first day I ran, I didn't run 10 miles. I'd have passed out at like mile two and gotten an injury. We have to allow the Lord to grow our perseverance and endurance over time as we learn to trust Him in the things that He puts in front of us. Some of you know George Mueller. He was a few generations ago, and he was a man that he literally lived his life by faith and trust in the Lord and seeking the Lord. He ran an orphanage, and frequently, I mean, just the way he lived, he didn't have money for the next day. He never really knew where anything was coming from, including food. He would just pray and seek the Lord, and people around him would just watch in amazement and go, how in the world did you even have anything to eat? Because you had nothing 10 hours ago. He tells one story, and this happened all the time, where he'll go, he would go to bed at night, and there was no food for the morning at the orphanage. And the people that had worked around him would kind of start freaking out a little bit and go, George, we've got to figure something out. He's like, the Lord's provided. Why are you guys so worried? He would get down on his knees by his bed. He would pray. And lo and behold, the next morning, everybody would wake up and there's bread. They're like, what just happened? Story happens over and over again. There was a bread truck driver that was headed towards some place to deliver bread, and he was like, I don't know why, but I was supposed to come here. I just so I turned the truck around, came to this place and brought some bread. Now, do you guys need it? Yeah, we do. Over and over again, that's the story of George Mueller's life. He just trusted the Lord. I want you to hear this quote from him. When sight ceases, it is the time for faith to work. The greater the difficulties, the easier it is for faith. As long as human possibilities for success remain, faith does not accomplish things as easily as when all natural prospects fail. Our faith comes out when our ability to see goes away. And that can be the scariest moment for all of us, learning to trust the Lord and walk with Him 
and a faith that allows us to be a ready bride as a church and individuals that persevere through every next step God calls us to. Look, it's, it's not easy. There's so many times in our lives we trust the Lord and take a step out. And we just feel broken and we get tired. You ever gotten to a place where you've endured for a long period of time and then you just feel tired and you're ready to give up? Over and over again, the Bible's full of stories of people who grew weary and stopped enduring. And it's full of stories of people who grew weary and sought and trusted the Lord. Two very different outcomes. So my scripture says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I praise the Lord that it's not based on my ability to work harder. It's based simply on my looking to him and entrusting his power and authority that he's big enough for whatever's in front of me. So as you walk forward in faith over the next steps that God's called you to, remember on those hard days. Remember on those broken days. Remember on the most difficult days and on the easiest days and the average days and every other day in between that God has called you to follow him and to look to him regardless of what's happening around you and that he's given you every bit of strength you need to endure and persevere so that we might become like Moses and see the things of the Lord as better than anything the world can offer and become an enduring, persevering, faithful people. Praise God we get to trust him, that he's big enough to lead us to that place.